This afternoon we're going to be starting this new series. Uh, it's a new series based in the book of Philippians and uh, we're calling it Imitating Jesus. And that's because we think that one of the um, underlying themes throughout the book of, of Philippians is it's about the imitation of Jesus. And so we're going to uh, unpack that, the letter really over the course of the next few weeks up to the summer holidays. So that's the, that's the idea. So if you want to get a head start each week, then just... Just immerse yourself in this wonderful little book. It's only four chapters long, um, but it is, it is brilliant. But like I say, we're going to start off today and I'm going to make you do a bit of work. So uh, I'm going to read the, the opening two verses. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants or slaves of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how Paul begins his letter, and uh, we'll we'll come to that in due course. But um, in order to kind of get a handle on the book of Philippians, we need to do a little bit of a backtrack and look at the context of what it is that Paul was writing to. Because Philippi was a city, we have a a map coming up here um, that you can see. And uh, so Philippi is in modern day Greece, um, it's still there. Um, And uh, and Paul visited there in the book of Acts, we we read of that account. And so we're going to go back and we're going to look at that account because that account kind of unlocks a few of the things which we then see in Paul's letter when he then, some years later, writes to the church. So Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to begin. And uh, as you're flicking to that, I'll give you a bit of a, a context of the story so far. So Paul is, the Apostle Paul is on his second journey, um, taking the gospel around the known world. And at this point, on this journey, you'll remember the first journey he travelled with Barnabas. Then they had a Hmm, argument. And uh, so they went off in different directions. And in this second journey, Paul we see travelling with Silas, and then he meets a chap called Timothy, and he takes Timothy along with him. And when we pick up the story in chapter 16 and verse 9, uh, the narrative has changed in, in Acts from they were doing this to we were doing this. And that means really that at Troas, Luke joins the team because he's the, he's the author of Acts. So he joins the team. So look at when you're reading, it's another kind of thing. You know, we looked at Acts before for these little clues for unpicking Acts. So this is one of them. When you see we did this, Luke is with the team. So that, that's one of those. So they then come to uh, a point where in, at the start of Acts chapter 16, God speaks to, uh, to Paul through a dream, through a vision. A man of Macedonia appears to him and says, come on over and help us. And so they go. They sail from Troas uh, to Samothrace and then on to Neapolis, which you can see there in the, the insert map at the top. And then about 10 miles inland is this city of Philippi. Okay, so Neapolis is the port, if you like, of, of, uh, of Philippi. So... That's the story so far. And you are going to discover what happens at Philippi. So the way we're going to do this is as follows. The next screen will explain it. Um, This group here, nearest the window, you are the blue rectangles. 
okay? The blue rectangles. And you are going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. Then we're going to have these two groups are going to be the uh, green pentagons. And you're going to be looking at the next bit, which is verses 16 to 24. And then the rest of you are going to be the purple ellipses. And you're going to be looking at verses 24 through to 40. And as you read through those verses, so read through them in your groups. Um, hopefully some of you picked up the Facebook message to bring along a copy of the Bible with you. Um, I want you to answer these three questions. Where did they go? We know they were in Philippi, but where did they then go in Philippi? Who did they meet and what did they do? Okay. Right, okay then, let's, uh, let's hear what happened in Philippi. So, um, let's start with the blue rectangles then. So, what happened? What happened in Philippi? Where did they go? Yeah, great. They went and stayed with... I mean, let's just get this. So, it was the Sabbath day when they went. So, they go down to the river because they know there'll be a place of prayer there. They share the gospel. Lydia responds, gets baptised with her whole household and invites them back, probably to stay with them. I find that remarkable. That is a normal Sabbath in the life of Paul on the road. I mean, it's amazing. And this woman, Lydia, wow, I would love to, to know her story really because it it doesn't give us that much detail does it? it says that she's what from Thyatira and she's a seller of purple fabrics now Thyatira was a city somewhere inland and it was it was famed for its dyes in particular this purple dye which <laughs> they used to get it out of shellfish so you collect all these shellfish and then kind of extract the dyes and so on and then there was a, a kind of cheaper version that Thyatira dis, kind of developed discovered um, but it's almost as if that she's kind of moved from Thyatira to Philippi and set up her purple fabric business in Philippi because Philippi, if we just go back to the map, uh, Dylan, if that's possible. So it, it's not that easy to see, but on the top insert, you can see this dotted line with an arrow saying the Ignatian Way. And that was basically one of these main trading routes that connected Rome to a whole load of other things. And so she's moved from Thyatira, savvy businesswoman, moved from Thyatira onto one of the main trading posts on the main trading route to set up a business. And she's a follower of the Lord, a worshipper of God, it describes her as. And, um, but the key thing is, she wasn't Philippian. She was an immigrant. She was from a different town. But she came and set up her business there. Okay, let's, there's maybe some more comments we'll make about that in a bit, but um, let's go on to the second one, first of all. So, uh, the uh, green pentagons. Um, what, what happened with you? What, where, did, where did Paul and team go? If, if we've read the previous couple of chapters in Acts, and I realise that I'm just kind of parachuting you into chapter 16, and that's, that's not really very fair of me to do it. Um, but... What Paul's pattern was to go to the synagogue. That's where he started. He went to the synagogue, preached until they booted him out, and then he went to the, the Gentiles, 
essentially. Well, it's interesting he didn't do that in Philippi, and that would suggest that there wasn't a synagogue there. If there wasn't a synagogue there, that means that there wasn't a very large Jewish community there. You had to have 12 Jewish men to establish a synagogue. So instead, they went to the river where they knew that those people who were God-fearing might be gathering near there. Probably quite a small group. Interesting that Lydia is the named person, not any men. Um, and there they, they kind of... And that's really because Philippi was a city that was populated mainly by ex-army uh, soldiers, Roman soldiers, army veterans. And they settled in Philippi, be, and Philippi was given this special status. If you read in verse 12, it says that um, Philippi was a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And basically, if you were a citizen of Philippi, you had the same rights, the same legal protections, the same status as a Roman citizen. It was like you were Italian but living in Greece. Okay, those rules applied for those citizens. And so, um, it, so it became a, a really important city and why it was settled by a load of, of veterans who'd kind of done their hard time in the army and then settled by the sea in Greece, effectively. So, but not a large Jewish population. So that's worth, we, we need to note that because we'll come back to that in due course. Okay, um, yeah, uh, pentagons, anything else? So you went to the, the place of prayer, uh, what happened? Who did they meet? A psychic slave. <laughs> I, I love that, I, I'm going to write that down, if I, can, if I can spell psychic, so, psychic. Is that right? Oh, sorry, green. We're on green. Psychic. Slave. Okay, so what happened when they encountered the psychic slave girl? Yeah, they got annoyed. Yeah, because she was basically shouting out stuff that was, well, it was true, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, these men are slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. You think that's like quite a good advert, you know? It's kind of, you know, rent a mob type thing, but but apparently not. And Paul got troubled with that, and he, uh, well, what happened next? Command the spirit to leave, and that is a problem because if you've got a spirit which tells the future, and that's where you get your psychic powers from, and that spirit is cast out of you then you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And if you're a slave girl, you're then owned by people whose income stream is somewhat damaged because they now have a non-psychic slave girl. <laughs> and that is a problem. Okay. What happened then? Yeah. Basically, they were hauled in front of the magistrates, yeah. And uh, what's interesting here is the charge. So uh, the they masters drag her in, they bring her to the... They brought them to the chief magistrates. So these men are throwing our city into confusion. Really? No, they just got rid of the spirit from your slave girl. But anyway, um, being Jews, 
and of proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So notice how important this being Romans is for the, for the citizens of this Roman city, this Philippi. They, that was really important and these Jews are bringing in strange things. So we see this kind of tension happening. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, that was for them. Absolutely. And for, so for those slave owners, they had to come up with something uh, in order to take, uh, to take them to the magistrates. But it was fairly flimsy. To say that that's creating chaos across the city is stretching it. And they weren't happy about their money, so they trumped up these charges on the basis of they're Jews and we're, we're Romans. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so they were beaten... It says they were guarded securely in an inner prison and they were put in stocks. That's fairly heavy-duty imprisonment for someone who's just cast out an evil spirit from a slave girl. Purple ellipses. Where did they go? To jail. To jail. Yeah, they were in jail, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, who did they meet there? The jailer. Jailer, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not trick questions, it is, it's just all in the text, yeah. We're not inferring anything, yeah, okay. Uh, all of the jailer's household. All of the jailer's household, yeah. Which presumably included his servants and slaves. Yeah, yeah. Lydia. <laughs> in jail as well? Later. Oh, later, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no, no, that's fine, yeah. The story ends up back at Lydia's house, doesn't it, yeah. Yeah. City officials. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's this interaction with the, official, uh, the officials within the city. Um, and what, what happened then? What happened in jail? There was an earthquake. Yeah. And they didn't go anywhere. No. <laughs> no. Which is amazing, isn't it? Um, and uh, so it says... Uh, where's it gone? So there was a... An earthquake, foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is quite a cool earthquake. <laughs> it doesn't just drop boulders on their heads. It actually just loosens all their... Bo- I mean, clearly the hand of God is here. Um, and it causes them to have this proper meeting with, with the Philippian jailer and his household. And, um, yeah, wh- so what happens after the earthquake? Yeah. 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 And it, it's amazing, isn't it? Because they're already, and notice that Paul was there. We said he was travelling with Silas and with Timothy and with Luke. So at least those three. But only... Paul and Silas were in prison. I mean, what happened to Timothy? Did he, oh, oh, trouble, off we go. You know, or was he having a lie-in? Or, I mean, we just don't know, do we? But the two of them were there and they were singing, praying, etc. Um, and then, and it's this, so the, the jailer's about to kill himself and Paul says, don't harm yourself for we are all here. Verse 29, I love this. He called for lights. 
So he called for lights, and then he asks, what must I do to be saved? He sees the light, the real life light. And then it says, uh, it, they explained that it's believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And they spoke the Lord to him and everyone in his household. And he took them in. And then this, again, he washed their wounds and then they washed away his sins because he's baptised. Amazing. And then they get food. And, uh, and then how does the story end? What happens the next day? Yeah, disappear quietly, yeah. And Paul won't let them off the hook. On what basis, though, does he say? Yeah, it's that citizenship thing again. Paul was unjustly put, and Silas, unjustly put in prison. No trial, nothing. They were flogged. It shouldn't have happened. They were Roman citizens. And they were on, effectively, Roman soil in Philippi. So this citizenship theme is going to be quite important in explaining, really, what happens there. And there's a, there's a theory that Paul thought it was worth playing that citizenship card because what would happen in the city after all these events would be that persecution would come against the church. And so it's almost like he wanted to kind of put a marker down of saying, you can't just do what you want. There are laws and rules that need to be followed. You can't just throw them in jail because they, they release someone from, from, the, from, demonic, uh, from a demonic spirit. So that's kind of the background and hopefully picking out a few of the themes. So thank you for that. Um, the, the second thing I wanted to look at was the very opening of the letter. And um, so I read it earlier, those two verses, and it's on the screen there. I'd like you just for a minute or two to compare that with the opening five verses of the book of Galatians, which is two, two books previous to, to Philippians. So read the five, the, how he opens his letter um, in Galatians and then what he does here in Philippians and see what you notice. Ancient letters... Ancient letters had a, a pattern which basically was the person sending it said who they were, who they were sending it to, they then said next, and then they wrote the word greetings. That was basically it. And if you look, at, for example, at the start of James, that is exactly how the book of James starts. Um, but Paul does something a bit different here. So what have you noticed that's similar and different between the opening to Philippians and the opening to Galatians? Slave or bondservant. So apostle and slave or bondservant. Anything else you notice? Yeah, so Galatia is a region. Um, and so there were probably a number of churches and it would have gone around them. Yeah. Whereas Philippi, to so the church of Philippi, one church. Probably meeting in Lydia's house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? Paul, an apostle. Not sent from men. <laughs> nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. I mean, it is. And, and so then, this is, I, I wonder whether sometimes we skate over these intros. But actually, this is really important, because if you read verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. 
It's like he's got to establish his apostolic authority afresh with these people because he's going to be telling them that they have entirely messed up. That they're chasing after circumcision and all sorts of legalities and introducing that into Christianity and basically rubbishing the cross of Christ. That's what Galatians is about. Philippians, slaves, slaves of Christ. We were among you, we knew you, you knew us. It's just a very different tone to it. It doesn't need to bring any doctrinal correction. There's no doctrinal correction in the book of Philippians. There's conduct that's corrected, but no doctrinal stuff, no theological emphasis that needs correcting. It's a very different feel to it. And the greetings, grace and peace, isn't it? Grace and peace is what's said. So, so yeah, so when we're, when we're reading these sorts of things, we need to have this in mind. So here, he's emphasising the partnership, so the fact that was said he's writing it with Timothy. Paul isn't a lone shark, you know, he doesn't just go off on his own and do things. He always does stuff in team, but he does it with humility. And that's going to be one of the themes. We're, we've called it... Um, you know, imitating Jesus, but the attitude has to be like Jesus, which is one of humility. And so that comes through. And the fact that he doesn't play the I'm an apostle card, but says I'm a slave of Christ instead, that shows that humility. And instead, all the saints, including the overseers and deacons, so the elders and deacons, and he elevates them. Your saints and elders and deacons, I'm writing to you, we're, we're the slaves of Christ really interesting the way he does that and that's because of what he's going to go on and say which is about having the attitude of Christ he's emulating Christ and he's going to call them to emulate that in due course and then this unity so all the saints and we'll see this as we look in the prayer in a few minutes time just this num- this word all comes up again and again and again and again all the saints in fact 21 times in the letter, the word in Christ or words in Christ are used. It's only 104 verses. But 21 times um, he uses this in Christ and that's another theme of being in Christ. Christ is central. Okay, so we're going to look very briefly at the prayer that follows. So uh, verses 3 through to 11. So I'm going to split you into your blue rectangles green pentagons and purple ellipses again. Um, And while you think about that, um, I'm just going to read the whole prayer to us. Okay, so we've heard the whole thing. And then I've asked you a question each. So, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. For it is only right to me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Three things then. So um, 
first of all, blue rectangles. What's Paul thankful for in verses 3 to 5? From the first day. First day, Lydia responds. Vast participation in the gospel. Yeah? Love it. Brilliant. Yeah, anything else that he's thankful for? Yeah. Yeah. You can just hear the emotion, can't you, in his words as he, it just overflows out of him. I don't know whether you counted the number of times the word all is used in this prayer, but it's all of you, all of you, all the time, every time I pray for you. Yeah, absolutely. He absolutely loves them. And this unity, his desire is for them to be united in Christ. No one's left out of his letter. It's all the saints, and this applies to all of them. It's really challenged me, actually, about how I pray for you guys. Can I write this stuff every time I pray for you? Do I remember all of you with thanks? (laughs) We'll see after today. (laughs) No, but it's... But this, you know, uh, it's just the, the depth of his feeling for them. Anything else you noticed out of those verses? Okay. I mean, the word joy just sneaks in there. There's no way you can really know that just from this, this one little bit. But that's going to be a key word for us as we go through the book. 16 times the word joy Paul uses. This is a man who is was imprisoned and beaten when he was in Philippi, and he's remembering them with joy. Um, And now he's writing this from prison, and he's full of joy. I mean, there's a massive challenge there. He's, He's facing the possibility that he could be sentenced to death. That's the reality of his situation as he writes, and yet he writes with joy. So that's a big theme. Um, okay, we need to, uh, to move on. So the, uh, the Pentagons, what is Paul sure of? Verses 6 through 8, what's he sure of? Absolutely, yeah, it's good stuff, isn't it? We need to just beware here of reading this with our Western eyes, which are very individualistic. And so we say, oh, he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. Well, yes, but he's writing to you all. In fact, I, I quite like the uh, new NASB translation, which says, who began a good work among you will carry it on to completion. And it's that corporate sense. But yeah, absolutely, he's sure that that's going to happen. Anything else? It's the- worth it. <laughs> it is worth it. Yeah, L'Oreal. Each. They're worth it. And, um, yeah, anything else? Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So there's a certainty about it, and it's, it's going to be completed. Um, anything else? Definitely, yeah, yeah. It is this, it is this mutual feeling, isn't it? And so you get this depth of this pastoral love that he feels for them, um, and the, uh, but then it, it, that kind of overspills and is reciprocated from them as well. Yeah. 
well, I've been through this, you'll get through it as well. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. He knows that God will be glorified through yeah. this. Yes, absolutely. He knows he really knows. Yeah, that's where it's heading. Yeah. Which brings us to the to the final group. So what does Paul pray for? Yeah, I mean it is it is incredible, isn't it? The amount of things that he prays for. And this love which is knowledgeable and discerning, that's kind of real, that they, that they know that... It, it, this isn't just about knowing the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. This is about knowing what's good and what's best. That's what he's praying for. And, um, yeah, so it's this need for them to go through this world having love and discernment along with it and to be pure and blameless. And so it's about the character of Christ. It's about imitating Christ, imitating Jesus. And twice in the prayer, he uses this phrase, day of Christ. So it came up in the Pentagon section that comes up in the ellipse section, that his, his whole praying is future-oriented, and it's about being perfected in the day of Christ. So um, hopefully that's given a bit of a flavour of where we're going to be heading with Philippians, um, the, the background to it and the, the start of the, the story.